I'm not military. I'm not secret service, but I can help this way, right? And I've suffered in my life. I've been through trauma in my life. I've been through many difficulties. And what I needed to get out of those situations, not by my power, but it was by the power of Jesus Christ. But it was also because a friend came alongside and seeded hope. You know, a friend seeded hope for me when I was suicidal, when I was an alcoholic, and pulled me out of these situations. And so, 99.99999% of us aren't going to Ukraine to counsel the trauma women who've lost their husbands, uncles, brothers, and the sisters and the women and children who've been killed. You know, there were 400,000 women and children were taken to Russia, to Siberia. We don't talk about that, but I've had trauma. We've all had trauma. We've been in difficult wildernesses along the way Mm -hmm. in a small seed of hope that says, hey, you don't have to worry about the water. Let's get you over here. When you find yourself between here and there, the now and the then, it can feel difficult to embrace life and all that it has to offer, especially when you feel like you haven't arrived yet. Wherever you're at, though, we want to help in that beautiful struggle of transitioning well through aspects of faith and life with The Places Between, a podcast all about transitions. Hi, I'm your host, Wendy. I'm a storyteller and a creative with a passion for adventure, fitness, and faith. What began as a love for travel, experiences, and community turned into helping clients around the country tell their own stories and inviting others to join them. I've always been passionate about people fully living. That means navigating those places between, opening up a safe space to have conversations and encouraging growth along the journey. So join me as we explore what it's like to transition well on the places between. Water is such a critical part of life. Wild enough, how many times do we run our faucets expecting clean water to come out or even not pay attention to how long our showers are? Gosh, I remember taking showers in India. It was such a process. I went a couple of years ago on a trip with my good friend, John, and we had access to clean water in the condo we stayed in, but then everywhere else, we'd have to not only boil the water just to clean it and get rid of all of the bacteria and viruses and all that stuff just in case, but then we'd have to let it cool down just so it didn't burn us to like wash our hands or wash the dishes. And where it was safe to take showers, it was awful to take showers in cold water. Anyways, the craziest part of which just because water looks clean doesn't mean it is. I remember seeing clean, clear water, what I thought, coming out of pipes in the ground for the people in the slums to drink. And then I would actually learn how dirty the pipes were and how poisonous the water was. And it was actually just making people sick. It was just an awful situation. So that's why today I want to talk to a good friend of mine who's all about clean water and more. His name is John. You have maybe heard his story before. And he was saying, as humans, we thirst for water and it's essential to survive. 
But looking at life, I'm also reminded how water for life is referenced in the scriptures as living water and what Jesus came to bring us all. So while it may not be directly involving transitions of life, given that my podcast is called The Places Between, this conversation does involve how we sustain our life. And then the keys to truly living with a commitment to not just sharing the hope and love of Jesus with others, but how we might actually find and discover our passions to also bring those passions out. That's what you'll hear in John's story today. So today, we're going to start with a conversation of water and then see how it impacts us to discuss a conversation around our faith and what the living water of our faith can do for others as well. So if you're ready for it, why don't you pull up a chair, grab a cup of coffee, and dive in with us to The Places Between. First of all, I want to say thanks for joining us, John. Thanks for having me, Wendy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just like so excited to dive in. For those of you who had a chance to hear John's story early on, he was a guest in the first season. And if you haven't heard his story... You can hear other parts of his story, including his passions and other purposes that he's fulfilling. Go back and listen today. But because I want to bring it full circle into the work that you're doing today, let's have you start by sharing a little bit about your beginnings, how you entered the world. One word, sovereignty of God. Well, that's three words, but... And grace, so that's five. Well, let's just keep going down the words, his mercy, his love, all of that. I don't know if everyone knows my origin story. I think that's what you're asking. It's like how this kind of puts me where I'm at here today. I'm an orphan child uh, from Suwon, Korea. I don't identify as orphan anymore. I've been adopted into the family of Jesus Christ and, and into his kingdom. And But found on the streets around the age of four, four and a half, five we, we really don't know. And that I was found by the police on the steps of City Hall in Suwon. I, th- I think the story goes I was causing a lot of trouble, <laughs> like I still do now. But And they took me into the uh, government orphanage in Suwon. And then from there, because that orphanage was sort of being condemned or was not suitable for children or living, they took me from there to Seoul, Korea. And Holt International at that time was doing a pretty large South Korean adoption campaign in that. And so no family, no mother, no father. I have no identity or I have no recollection of that. I don't know. I, I, I have zero past until the police picked me up. Wow. And so having my first son, you know, I'm taking pictures of him when he's, you know, one month old, newborn, one, two, every month. And every day I'm taking pictures of my son and my son will have the ability to go back and say, oh, that's that's what I looked like when I was two years old. I have, I have none of that. I, I don't even have a name. I don't have a mother or a father. And so what's fascinating is that when, when God plucks a child off the streets of Suwon, Korea. Then I do this journey, right? It's just the journey of the wilderness and all the things Mm -hmm. and where God takes me. I'm here back in my years and I'm here in Denver, Colorado, serving orphans and widows and uh, nonprofits and people around the world and globally and really the next generation of children. So I look at that and go, what type of math did God put together for that to happen for just little old me? 
You know, I don't want to be little that I'm just this little guy. I mean, God loves me so deeply and I have great relationships with people who love me so deeply, but I'm like, imagine the mathematical probability of that happening and landing here in a place where I'm serving me. <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, I was in India with my wife and Krista and I was walking with a bunch of slum kids and they were holding my hand and Krista said, it's always so cute. My wife, Krista, and she's like, it's so cute because all these kids are going, John, 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 Uncle John, 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 you know, and they're holding my hand and she's like, it's so natural for these children to come to you like the Pied Pipers. Maybe they just don't know that there's this thing, an orphan to an orphan or street boy to a street boy. And uh, she asked me, this might've been four years ago, right before we got married, she goes, did you ever think God would take you to a place where you're serving you? And I was like, what? Wow. It just really sort of like blew up in my heart. Like, oh, wow, that's the journey. And, and wow. that's where I'm at right now. So I'm just amazingly thankful for it. It wasn't easy. It was a very rough ride. And it's not easy now too, but it's glorious. It's glorious. And even just to unpack that a little bit more, because I know a lot of your story, as you say, full circle, now you're serving you just to catch listeners up a little bit. You know, it's like he's going back into the places where there are lots of orphans and there are lots of street kids. So I'd like to talk a little bit about clean water and what you're actually doing today. So fast forward, you get plucked out of child poverty. Yep. You're given a life. You grow up in the United States and you start going back to these countries that had you not been rescued, really, you might not have lived to see the years that you're seeing now. And it's so interesting to me how God, like what you're saying, He prepares us for everything. And in His sovereignty, when we turn 30 and experience something or 35 and experience something else. And we're like, God, how did you know that when I was 10, I would go through (laughs) this to get me through this? Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about how clean water became even just a passion of yours, maybe through your experience and time in India or how did that even surface? Yeah, I think I have to go back to the year 2008 when I first went to India with Valor Christian High School. I was the film teacher and dance teacher there at Valor, starting those programs the first years of Valor. And so I went there to actually just document the first mission, short-term mission trip that Valor took uh, with Terry Adams and other leaders and 26 kids, too many, by the way, on a trip, more like 18 to 20. And in the camera lens, and I say that because I, I don't know if everyone sees life this way, but everything is cinematic for me. Like, it's mm-hmm. super weird. Like, I can see see a movie's edit. I can see a show edited prior to me mm-hmm. writing a show or anything. So like it's it's like it's edited in my face. And then I'm looking through the camera and there is this gentleman, specific gentleman looking at me and behind me are these kids just running around in the slums. But he's looking straight through the lens, deadpan with no soul. And I just felt the pain of his suffering as much as I could at that time. And I felt God speaking to me saying, your talents are for my kingdom and my glory. You won't do 
anything anymore unless it gives me glory and my people. I used to do commercials and a lot of other film things, and I was definitely a secular dancer back in the day. And I'm, I just looked back before I knew Jesus, and I thought about that moment going, wow. Then in 2015, at that time, we'd already gone back to India multiple times, you know, just all, all the time. I've been to India over 26 times since then. And Mahadev Mandel was running a small ministry in the slums that we just kept going back to, kept going back to. And, you know, Mahadev just, he's just the most lovely pastor and such a God-fearing man. And that year, 2015, we, me and a couple friends started a nonprofit called Momentum Global, and we sort of took over his slum ministry um, upon his request, saying, my funding is ending, how am I going to survive? And so we put together a nonprofit and started funding him. Since then, we've grown from one school to multiple schools, multiple churches, and all these programs. But that year, he said, hey, is there anything you can do about this water? All the water that we drink in the slums and the village is contaminated. And so I went and bought a ton of filters, uh, Sawyer filters, lifestyle filters, any filter that I saw on REI or you know any camping place, Walmart, whatever, Target. At the time, man, we brought them all over, and we discovered that clean water was amazing. We saw the positive impact of clean water within days. I think with the first report we got was three days and the mother was like, I'm already having less diarrhea, like immediately. And so one of our teachers, Bishu, his father, in 10 days, his stomach reduced by 20% in just size because he was so bloated by the parasites and the, and the disease and just what they're drinking. I mean, imagine just being bloated all the time because of the water. I mean, and just feeling the pressure and he's always sick and all that. So he just felt better. So Bishu's like, this is amazing. So we did that. And so clean water became really a part of what we were doing in India. Only thing is, is the filters that we had purchased and bought all failed fairly soon. And it wasn't because clean water isn't the deal. And it wasn't because the technology was that bad. It was the maintaining of these filters is almost impossible with these developing world people because they just don't think like us. So these products were made for people like us who go camping and hiking and do all the things and we can afford to buy one or two filters a year, right? But they can't do that. And so the maintaining and the back flushing and all the other different ways of cleaning the filter, the the developing uneducated 55-year-old woman who has seven children is like, all I want is clean. I don't want to do anything. What? How do I do and then apparatuses and pieces and steps and seven-step yeah. cleaning. Like, it got really confused. And so that really became the thing that sort of started creating that wheel in my head to be like, is this something that we need to get into? Do I even want to get involved? <laughs> God, what is the thing? I don't know. So Totally. Wow. Wow. Well, and I mean, clean water is such a huge, I mean, it's a global issue. So tell us specifically... Let's talk about Vivo Blue and then Water for All. What's your role? And I don't <laughs> want to give it away because it's a huge... <laughs> What's my role? What The only thing I don't do is the finances. I'm the founder of Vivo Blue. And I was the CEO the first couple years of it. Um, I elevated the president to CEO. And then I moved over and I founded the nonprofit side of Water for All. So Vivo Blue is a for-profit manufacturing company 
designed to build purpose-built filters for the world. And so as we develop filters, this is a manufacturing for-profit company on this end. And over here, what I have is the faith-based nonprofit sister of Evo Blue that is going out to bring clean water and the living water to the people around the world as a nonprofit. So through donations and a giving and generosity comes into Water for All. And what Water for All then does is it takes these Vivo Blue filters and sends them out. So it can just accelerate the clean water and it can accelerate. It's an accelerator NGO. Does that make sense? So like this is your manufacturing company that's selling to clientele and retail on Amazon and doing pretty cool stuff with some disaster relief USA, disaster relief all around the world, uh, feeding programs like right there is, up here, it's a picture in Rwanda, and there's our filter and the water for all bucket with the Vivo Blue logo. So, you know, the Rwandans here in uh, Kigali are going, wow, that child there, first time he's drank clean water. And what was interesting is I have a closer up picture is that he has snot coming down his face and he has white, he has like white cream something that's sort of like caked on his face and he's dirty. He only has one little shoe. This is a legitimate picture I took after I took it. There's the mother who works at the school just down the road. And there's the grandmother who is handicapped and has uh, iron crutches. And so this is who we serve. Wow. You got the filter, that manufactured product filter in that bucket, giving them clean water for three years. And then you got a donor who came alongside and said, you know what? I'll help that family along. And so that's sort of how we do it in that. So, yeah, I'm the founder of Evo Blue, the manufacturing company, developed the filter, do all those crazy things. And then over here, I'm the president and founder of Water for All. And I'm just going out meeting people, corporations who want to serve and serve the people globally with clean water and the living water. Wow. Well, and so for those that are listening, if you have never experienced the world of filtration systems, or even heard. I remember hearing about organizations that are digging deep wells to get to the clean water. And then there's other filtration systems that, like you said, communities or be it moms of five small children, they just get so bothered by the process of cleaning or how do you keep a well protected? There's all these, for lack of a better description, holes or just things wrong with not having a perfect water filter. Right. And then Vivo Blue comes along and you did a number of tests and finally came out with this beautiful prototype and then eventually took it to market. So tell us how awesome this filter is. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best in the world. I actually think it's the best in the market for these applications, applications of serving the impoverished and the poor, disaster relief, and now the Ukraine war, just in such a crisis as this. I'm going to talk a little bit about something that's very unpopular and probably not well known. The UN has estimated that over 62% of all the wells that have been drilled by Americans are unfunctional right now. So if you think about the tens of thousands of wells that have been drilled over 62% or 63, I forget what the exact number is. We'll just say over 60% are not functioning. So we spent 80,000, 60,000, 100,000 to do a well. And many within six months 
are broken. Okay, so that's one problem. The NGOs, nothing against them. I think, well, there is something to say about them, but I also will tell something ecologically that's not great about wells that people don't know. But what happens is the springs break, the machine breaks, something breaks, and then they just sort of move on. And then what the people do is they just stop using the well because it's unfunctional and they just go back to what they were doing before anyways. Right? Remember, I told you the Sawyer filter, the lifestyle filter didn't last six months. And so it's no better than a $60 filter that you buy at REI, yeah. right? So you can be spend $40,000 over here to drill and do all the things, and that's really cool. Now, you got to admit, that leaves 40, 000, 40% or more that are still functioning, but within a year or two years, they're done. They're just done because they rust, things happen. Thieves in the villages was because come along and take the handle, or they'll take the machine, or the generator, it's gone. Right. So, so there's a lot of things that are difficult about the well in that. And then, so if we were to go back as researchers and data gatherers, we would be shocked at how many wells don't work. The well that was built in the village that our school is in, I asked the teacher because it's not working. I asked the teacher, how long, the, the director, Sahadev, Mahadev's brother, how long did that well work? He's like, a few months. Wow. He's like, maybe a couple months because the kids broke it. They wanted to play with it. So they just broke it. So that, when you've been there, that village school, right? If you just go to the front, there's that concrete thing. That cost them 20 grand. And it lasted two, like 10,000 a month. Then that's it. And that's not to say anything for the heart of the person who donated and the people. That's lovely. The other thing that a lot of people don't know about wells, many wells that don't go deep, like 400, 500, 600 feet deep, that anything what they call a shallow well, which is 250 or 300 or below, it sucks the natural resources of water in the area. So imagine this. So you got this river or an artesian well underneath it, right? That's been there for thousands of years and all the vegetation on top survive off of it water comes down it seeps down and then sometimes it comes back up comes in a different way so there's a cycle of water if you tap that water faster than it can restore itself you ruin the ecological system of the whole area now i just saw a documentary and they're showing just decimated areas of where there's a well and then about 600 yards circumference, it's just dead. It's dead. Proven that if you look at our well that was by our village, right? Just right around that well, there's nothing there either. Can't live. Super interesting. So I was like, I didn't know that about wells. Nothing wrong. Again, I'm not bashing the heart of mankind to try to save. But think about if you take the natural resource underneath the ground, All the ecosystems around it suffer from that, okay? Because it takes seven years for that to replenish or more, right? So now you're creating a system where you're creating mobile people. So the minute that well dries up and that whole ecosystem dies, guess what they have to do? The whole village has to move. So that's something that's very different. So our filter naturally does not disturb the ecosystem, and the only way you can break it, honestly, is if you just steal it, right? That's can people kids do that? Absolutely. So that's that's sort of it. The filter itself is a family, single family filter, hollow fiber. It is medical grade. So hollow fiber is like a small tube, right? It's like a straw. 
And what it does, it, it prevents all the contaminants and bacteria on the outside of that straw from going in. So only fresh water can come into the holes of the straw, down the straw, out the tube, and into this second bucket right here where the wow. clean water reservoir is there. What wow. this also allows the women to do is they go just go get the natural source of water where it's already happening, the river, the lake, or wherever they are. Or even if they just have a well there too, that's fine as well. Most well water isn't clean. Unless, like I said, you go way deep. It still has feces in it, contaminants, bacteria, cysts, protozoa. It's going through the earth. Yeah. It's picking up some things. It's losing some things. By the time it gets down to the bottom, you know, it's not sterile. It's not, no, you know, I know. So, so our water, you put it on the top bucket. It goes through this really fine straw. We have 1,300 fiber straws in every single one of our filters. And the science behind it is our holes. If you think of a straw with a lot of little holes around it, perforated holes, the holes are so small that nothing can get through except the water. So 0.1 micron holes can't get through. Only the water gets through and then it goes down the tube and out again. And then so then they can drink that. And so to give you an idea of like how small the holes are, the coronavirus is 0.3 microns to 0.5 microns. So the coronavirus will sit on top of that straw and not go through that hole. So our filter, to give some sort of context of what we're dealing with today, takes out coronavirus. It eliminates the coronavirus. No bacteria, no cholera, no E. coli, no giardia, no cysts, no protozoas can get through those holes. Wow. Yeah. And so then you go back to, well, John, what'd you do about that back flushing, the extra syringes, the extra cups, all the types of things. We made our filter rinsable. All you have to do is take the top off, look at it. If it's brown, it's dirty. If you rinse it, it's white, it's clean. And so making it so that this child could clean the filter and this grandma, lovely grandma can clean the filter. And when we train the Rwandans or the Indians or even the Ukrainians, they're like, well, how long do we have to rinse the filter? I said, till it's white. Sometimes it takes 10 seconds. Sometimes it takes 15. Sometimes it takes 20. Wow. But that's about it. <laughs> wow. wow. So that's it. That's, it. that's incredible. So bringing things up to today, currently, I know you've already traveled. I know the Vivo Blue water filter that Water for All is distributing through their nonprofit means to other countries. You're also serving Ukrainians and you just got back from Ukraine. I realized it was longer than a month ago, but for those that are listening in the 2022 year, (laughs) we've been in a war. It's been the Russian Ukrainian war since February of 22. And all of the access to clean water has been destroyed. So I know that you've already deployed multiple teams on the ground. You work in Ukraine and in Poland, and you have lots of great contacts. And you even developed what I think is the coolest backpack because you can (laughs) hang it from a tree or you can dip it into a stream of water and it still filters. But let's just talk more about Ukraine what was it like there? And what are you attempting to serve the Ukrainians with? 
Man, Winnie, that is that is a great question. So we didn't intend to get involved in the war until April, which is you're talking two and a half months into the war. Now we were praying, our team prayed about the war and prayed for the people because you know, I like to say this because I think it's true. I haven't found anything on the planet that creates more widows and orphans than mm-hmm. war. Faster. Sorry, let me take that back. Faster than war, right? I mean, right now, over 15,000 Ukrainian dads, fathers, and uncles have died. That's 15,000 broken families already. You know, you put that into 90 days. That's a lot of people and a lot of children losing their fathers and a lot of wives losing their husbands and a lot of people losing grandfathers and uncles. We heard of grandfathers who are farmers picking up their guns and going to war. That's what's happening in the Ukrainian wars. You got a people group called Ukrainians who, I don't know if you know this, I just found out when we did the event this past Saturday, there's a historian that came and said, I'm going to tell you about the Ukrainian people. He spoke for like 10 minutes. We were all just weeping. He goes, did you know that 40% of the Ukrainian art, songs, music, stories, books, are all about freedom and hope and joy. And he goes, and our lovely God is Catholic country. And all the songs of Russia are about conquering, regime, empire. And you look at that, and those are the types of people you meet. So the Ukrainians are this gentle, kind, serving, loving people, which I ran into when I was there. The hospitality was... 12 out of 10, their kindness, their prayers, their just confusion of like, why is Russia just killing us? Just, I know there's economic reasons and all those types of things, but they're just truly confused. And so in April, we decided, is there a need for water in the war? We didn't know. We had to get educated, right? And so we spent a week educating ourselves and we discovered what Russia did their first attack was on the infrastructure on the east side of Ukraine. So they shot missiles specifically at electrical systems, internet systems, water systems, and gas systems. 22 cities all went down instantly. Wow. Russia thought once we do that, we win the war, right? You take out the water, electricity, internet, and gas. Done. That's why the refugees fled because they had no way of communicating and they're just running. Right, They're just running because Russia thought in three days they were going to take this over. So what they do is they didn't go in there and just shoot a lot of people. They blew out the infrastructure. And so it's still the same, and they keep doing it. They're just still popping missiles all over the place. And so there is no, since we're talking, there's just no water, and there's no clean water. And so there's there's something that I don't know if... Americans, or I, I will say, you know, I didn't know. And so we had to do the research. And then we did the research. We went to Ukraine. We crossed the border. We heard from Ukrainians. We met people. We worked with Young Life, YWAM, Convoy of Hope, Operation Blessing, Help Ukraine, Love Ukraine, Heart of Ukraine, wow. a military company, paramilitary company. And then we worked with some secret agent guys. <laughs> I can't tell you. And we went in there to go, how can we deliver clean water here? And is there really a need? Well, the UNICEF said that over 8 million people now need water. 
Fox News and the Washington Post are now saying cholera is becoming the number one situation in Maripol, Kiev, and possibly now Mykolaiv. Now you're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people drinking contaminated water. And you're like, how's the water getting contaminated? Russia's doing this. They're not picking up any dead bodies. Dead bodies are starting to seep into the ground. I mean, you're talking months of a human body on the ground just seeping. And so you got dogs, animals, people, humans, 14,000 dead of just Ukrainian soldiers. They they think about 1,800 civilians have died, have been shot, bombed, or murdered along the way. So you got thousands of bodies in these cities just sort of laying. Russia's not picking it up. Ukrainians are forced to pick them up. The Russians took the bodies, threw them in the well, and threw them into the water systems. And so now their bodies are, their water systems are contaminated. Remember, they don't work in the first place. So Russia's like, ah, so if you go to the rivers and lakes, we're going to throw the bodies in there too. So that's sort of the situation that's going on because if you can contaminate the water, a human can't live, they will die because they can't survive without water. You can fight. But without water, you can only fight for two days. And then you're dead on the third day. Wow. It doesn't even have to shoot a bullet. Think about that. They really don't even have to shoot a bullet. If they contaminate the water, everybody in Ukraine will die in three days. Wow. To bring water to those people so they have a fighting chance for their own freedom. They can fight for their freedom, their hope, and their future. The Ukrainian gentleman, the historian said... The reason why we're surviving this war is because we're fighting for our future. And the reason why Russia will lose the war is they're fighting for their past. That is so profound. So wow. profound. I, he goes, we have hope for our future. Russia only has a hope for their past. Oh my gosh, what an amazing statement. Profound, you're right. Well, for those that are listening, I want to encourage you to get involved in what Water for All is doing not only on the ground in Ukraine, but for other countries. So please visit the show notes or you can go to waterall.org. That's waterall.org and learn all about the rest of their nonprofit efforts and how you can be a part. I know we were talking about this a little bit before we even connected online for this podcast. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned something specifically that was when we come face to face with life and death situations, things really start to matter. And those that have listened from the beginning of the podcast, I had referenced when we take showers, we don't really think about how much water we're using. When we get a drink of water, we don't quickly shut off the faucet because we're worried how much water we have. But taking it so much bigger, like how many things we take for granted in our own lives, not just clean water, but when it goes a step further to like our relationship with people and even deeper than that, our relationship with God. And I know that you and I had discussed, it would be a good conversation to have just around the complacency of our faith and the gospel in America and how we're only is it when something gets really intense or life-threatening, do we find ourselves desperate to seek help or desperate to seek God and a way out. So you had mentioned something about the stats from Biblica put on, I think it's Biblica. They put on a Ukrainian Bible right within the 
first few days or weeks that the Ukrainian war started. And the first month, over 400,000 downloads of yeah. the Bible happened. Think, <laughs> think about that. Like when, and I'm not an American basher. I mean, I too myself can get really complacent of like, oh, I get to have this whenever I want. But I think you're right, Wendy. I think you have a really good point where we were talking, like when things get desperate, things start to matter. And when you think about if we were invaded in Colorado, what Russia would do is shut off the electricity, internet, gas, and water. And the first thing your mother would do is where is the water filter that John built? That I guarantee you that would be before food. And I guarantee you that would be before guns and that would be before medicine. Because none of that matters if you're dead. Yeah. Exactly. And then I guarantee you, you grab your Bible and you'd be on your knees. And the gospel becomes really simple, right? The church is sometimes complicated things. I'm not a church pastor either. I'm just letting you know. Been there, done that, right? Mm -hmm. So the gospel becomes very simple. The word of God becomes very clear. And what's amazing is that in our good times, we forget that. But man, when crap hits the fan, and you know that crap's going to hit your face after it hits the fan, like it goes through the fan to you, right? Things become very crystal clear. Mm -hmm. The thing you need is clean water, living water, and family. Mm-hmm. and friends. That will be the first thing. Where's my family? Where are my friends? And where's that Vivo Blue filter in my Bible? Yeah. Those will be the things you care about. You'll go get food later on. You will. You'll get food later on. You can live almost 10 days without food. But like I said, you can't live two days without water. People will say three. Third day, you're dead. Wow. So yes, it is three days without water. But the second day, your body starts to cramp in dehydration Mm -hmm. and your muscles constrict, your abs constrict, your quads constrict, your calves constrict, your biceps, your neck constricts, and you end up in sort of like a ball. Now you can't get up. So the last day, you're just there as you just dehydrate to death. And the reason why I know that fact a little bit is in India, I've had students go through that they don't die but i've had them go through what dehydration actually does found out in the war through ukraine paramilitary people we we have they said we find full families dead in the basement because they didn't want to come out to meet the russians but the water was off so yes the gospel becomes we're so clear and we're not so worried about all the other stuff <laughs> yeah. when life and death situation happens you know it becomes crystal clear and so we as americans or we as people who don't have to worry about the water or the shower time or bath time or how many times we flush the toilet every time we go you have ukrainians indians africans rwandans everywhere everybody cambodians around the world measuring every drop because that means life for them and then if water for all can come alongside them and give them the gospel now it's eternal life in another really unique fashion so yes biblica is partnering with us 
giving us wow. a QR code now with every filter that goes into Ukraine. We get to put it in the bag and it goes to the Bible for Ukraine. So I love that. I love that so much. Well, I know that your vision and your mission is to serve 1 billion people with clean water access and living water through scriptures and getting to know Jesus in a personal way. For those that are listening, we believe that we can help Ukrainians. We believe that we can help them feel seen and experience hope. And even through something, like you said, as simple as clean water, I would challenge you to think about First of all, think about the water consumption you take in. The next time you take a shower, think how grateful you are to shower in clean, safe water, hopefully. And then start thinking about all these other luxuries that we have and these liberties that we have access to that we might take for granted. You could take it a step deeper. And if you know Jesus, do you commit to him on a daily basis? Do you ask him for fresh faith every day? Do you commune with him just once a week or are you desperate for him every day like we need water? And then finally, I just want to encourage you guys, how can you personally, you that are listening, make an impact today in the lives of others just by sharing about Jesus or by being a light in the places that you find yourselves, even making a difference through clean water and what Water for All is doing. John, as I had mentioned earlier in the episode, I will tag your websites in the show notes. Any final parting thoughts, any encouragement to those that are like, oh man, I could do something to make a difference. Yeah. Here's what I personally find interesting about the water company that guys called me to. And in that is I'm not military. I'm not secret service, but I can help this way. Right. And I've suffered in my life. I've been through trauma in my life. I've been through many difficulties and what I needed to get out of those situations, not by my power, but it was by the power of Jesus Christ. But it was also because a friend came alongside and seeded hope. You know, a friend seated hope for me when I was suicidal, when I was an alcoholic and pulled me out of these situations. And so 99.99999% of us aren't going to Ukraine to counsel the trauma of women who've lost their husbands, uncles, brothers, and the sisters and the women and children who've been killed. You know, there were 400,000 women and children were taken to Russia, to Siberia. We don't talk about that, but... I've had trauma. We've all had trauma. We've been in difficult wildernesses along the way Mm -hmm. in a small seed of hope that says, hey, you don't have to worry about the water. Let's get you over here in a refugee. That's that's a really interesting thing because if a woman is figuring out what to do with my kid, food and all this stuff, but then you got this opportunity to like, oh, I don't have to worry about my water because my, where do I go? Because that's the first thing they do every morning. Every morning, these Ukrainians get up and they go to these puddles and they get water for the day. Then they have to boil it. Well, wait a minute. We can't boil it because there's no gas. Wait a minute. What do we do? We have to let it settle. Yeah. Right? So these are the things that we're not thinking about. We're like, well, it's Europe. Why don't they have water? Because <laughs> they got blown up. And then my final thought, Wendy, it just came to me, and I don't want to be a preacher, but Jesus started his ministry with the woman at the well. Woman, well, living water. First evangelical person on the planet, really who went and go, oh, I, I, I met the Messiah. That was a woman at the well getting water. Yeah. 
it's an interesting thing where Christ is like, I'm going to meet you where you have to go every day because mm-hmm. you can't live without this. But then I'm going to tell you, you actually can't live without me. Yeah. Right? Life truly, truly comes from me. I am the living water. And so when he said that to the Samaritan woman, her eyes were opened. And I say to you, whoever's listening, let your eyes be open. Compassion flow for the woman at the well in Ukraine. Did I just say Ukraine? That was a little bit different between a Samaritan woman and Ukraine. But that's one way you can help. Yeah. I'm going, it looks like I'm going back August 14th. This time, me and a tiny, tiny team are going to go into the war zone. And we may be going to the exact front line to offer water filters to the military. Wow. So we, we, you know, we have to raise so many filters to actually make that trip happen because I'm not going to do it if it's like, oh, you know, we've donated 500 filters. Right. Like, no, no, there's tens of thousands of filters that we need. So it looks like I'm trying to leave August 14th. And we've already raised about a thousand filters. We just need to raise a thousand more. So if we can wow. get people to go, oh, I'll give a one filter or two filters or my company or my corporation will come alongside that. But we need to raise the money before August 10th so we can actually wow. go. Just as a final parting thought for those that are listening, if you want to make a difference financially, you might be able to gift those thousand water filters. They're not that expensive. No. And the other way that people, if you really want to be involved, just commit to praying. Um, Prayer does, prayer is, I believe, our most powerful weapon, worship and prayer at the same time. So we will be praying for you and your team, John. And I know there's, so much more that we could have covered, but we just appreciate your time and just sharing the stories with us today and just appreciate your friendship. And it's so awesome to see other other lives being impacted by your work. So myself included, for sure. Yeah. No, so, thank you. I don't know if everyone knows that you went with me to deploy the first filter. So I did. In India. <laughs> I so did. I, I'm so glad that this is a passion of yours and that we got a chance to do that in our Friendship has grown because we've been able to serve together and pray together, cry together, worship together, do conferences together. Uh, we have a great relationship. Wendy, you're amazing. I think uh, what your podcast, I pray that it grows and people hear it and they hear the word of God. They also see that doing good is actually good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and everyone can do it. And anyone can do it. Look, I'm just a hip hop dancer and a filmmaker. That's all we know, right? But I'm not just that. I'm a child of God, right? And God is calling upon me and he's he's saying, hey, let's go do something cool together. I said, okay. I love it. Well, listeners, thanks again for tuning in and you know all the places. So we will tag the show notes with John's information and we will catch you again next week on The Places Between. Have a good one. I'm over here cheering you on, friend. You just finished another episode of the Places Between podcast. If you want to access more, be sure to subscribe or visit theplacesbetween.com to learn more about our guests, episode sponsors, upcoming retreats, and more. Like Stay in the Story, a 25-day devotional all about staying in your story while you wait on your dreams, on God, and on life to come to fruition. 
And lastly, if you're looking for an online community of people who also want to transition well, then come say hi over on Instagram at the places between. As always, thanks for taking time to dive into the places between. Until next time, keep enjoying that journey.